Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell, as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be made so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast about all things related to human resources in the vet profession. As always, I'm Mike Connell and joined by Katie, Katie Arline. Hi, Katie. Hey, Mike. How are you? Just wonderful. Thanks. Good. We have an extra special guest, a past participant, uh, our partner in Oculus Insights, but based in the Netherlands, Joop Lomans. Joop, welcome. Hey, Mike. Hi, Katie. Nice to be here. On the podcast. So Yobes joined the podcast because he and I just finished spending two weeks in the United Arab Emirates. So we started off in Dubai, Yop and I and, and Katie, we have uh, clients to practices in the Emirates in Dubai who are looking for some guidance on where their practices can go in the future. Aren't we all thinking the same thing? And then Yop and I had the great pleasure of being able to present roundtables at the World Veterinary Association Congress, just up the road or down the road from Dubai, just no matter how you look at the world, at the globe. And we had a wonderful experience. And I thought, let's get the three of us chatting about our perspectives from here we are coming from Canada, from the Netherlands, where we're in a, a milieu, which is so different from our everyday, what we're used to not only the vet practices in Dubai, but just the experiences in the World Veterinary Association. So I thought we'd talk about that and, and our perspectives on it. And as always, we're going to look at it from the point of view of people in the business and in the human resources. So shall we start? I'm ready. Sounds great. All right. So, yo, I'm going to put you on the spot first. So flying overnight, getting ready to land at 2.30 in the morning in, in Dubai. Like, what were you expecting to find? I was expecting to find a lot of sand, high temperatures, and a lot of people. We were quite well prepared. Dubai is, is an incredibly fast-growing city. I think there live about 3 million people now. And by 2030, I think they expect to have 7 million people. Yeah, they want to basically double the population in the next eight years. So I, I was expecting a little bit like what I've seen in China, uh, building uh, constructions everywhere, cranes, trucks driving around. And that's what we've seen. That's what we've encountered for sure. Didn't we, Mike? Yeah, no, it was amazing because you go there, you, you hear, I mean, you see all the, the pictures of the fast growing city and there's a lot of wealth, what have you. I was surprised by how multicultural it is. So I think officially, and depending on who you ask, anywhere from 10 to 20% of the citizens are local Emiratis. They're from the Arab Emirates. Everybody else comes from everybody else. I mean, they just, it's, it's everywhere. I just remember the first morning we're sitting in our hotel uh, having breakfast and 
it was like the United Nations. It blew me away. And English is the common language for business, which was made it easier for us. But I just was blown away about just the multicultural aspect of it. It, it was like a very cosmopolitan city. That makes me wonder, did you guys find that not necessarily company culture, but was there a distinct sort of culture to the city or to the populace there that you could discern? Yeah. Growth is not a word for culture, but... (laughs) It could be. Everywhere around you, you could hear the city grow. You could see the city grow. There was a special dynamic, I think, Mm. from the people that are not originally from there. You saw relatively a lot of young people. Yeah. You did not see many families, as I remember. So very often uh, from an expat family, there's often only the the husband going there. Or we've seen, of course, over time, people bring in their family, depending a little bit on whether or not you're allowed to do that, because rules and regulations are also very strict. But if there is one thing that really, yeah, that's the word that kept buzzing in my head is growth. You see buildings, uh, the tallest in the world. Mm. New, you see huge roads from, in our imagination, from nowhere to nowhere, but it there's a plan behind it. And you see all those different zones that are added and added and added to the city uh, straight out of the, yeah, from the sea to the inland. I remember visiting a, a colleague at his home, uh, which was a, a new kind of compound. I think there were about... 12,000 people living there and he invited us for uh, for a, a nice barbecue outside and when we were sitting outside our view was the desert with camels and that was exactly where the border of that particular mm. ring was and behind it was real desert where you know th- th- there was hardly anything so they expand ring by ring by ring and and that's yeah that's my buzzword that's happening in my head all the time growth 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 yeah, similar to me was it was more of a, a hustle opportunities kind of culture because there's literally people from all over the world. They go there. They the attraction to working there is you can make a decent living, high salary, tax free for the most part, or a minimal tax. But there are no government services like we're used to in, in Europe or Canada, so you're sort of self sufficient. So, for example, when we visited our vet practices. The vets are from everywhere. I mean, mm. everywhere. And so I, if I just think of the, the vet practices that we visited and the vets, it was from, you know, Lebanon to Romania to Poland to the UK. Yeah, yeah, just all across Eastern Europe. The Netherlands, Austria. Netherlands, Australia, Austria. I mean, it just everywhere. The support staff, by and large, were all from the Philippines. And that was fascinating. And so. I know we were doing employee engagement surveys and we had to translate them into their language, Tagalog uh, and English. But it, it was it was a neat dynamic with them because A, I left there going, wow, if I ever wanted to hire some great receptionist or customer-facing people, uh, everyone we met from the Philippines was just so gracious and polite and really wanting to, to help others. But what they do, and this is where I think is where we get into this idea of growth and opportunity, is a lot of the workers that come there are working there to send money home to support their families. Mm -hmm. And so how 
people or how their employers treated them in life that they're there to make money for family was such an important part. Yes, you want a good work culture, you want to get paid well, uh, but it came up time and time again that, oh, they loved where they worked because they respected when things were going on. Let's say a family member had, you know, became sick and they would have to fly back to the Philippines or one year they're saying we got our Christmas bonus a month early so we could send money home in advance of Christmas. Those are the little things that added up to a lot. I would not call them little things, Mike. I think they, they were so incredibly important to the people that we've met and heads off to, to the owners of these practices. On the other hand, it's also a necessity because if you need to find people who are not locally available, uh, you really have to uh, work the extra mile, almost literally, to get them to, uh, to such a place as Dubai. I mean, it's a beautiful place to live. The climate is nice. There's air conditioning. There's a high standard of living uh, compared to where a lot of people come from. So that, that is nice and there is an, uh, there's a nice income, but you are away from your family, whether you're from Europe or from the Philippines, or we've seen a lot of people from India or Indonesia or uh, Sri Lanka. That's quite a thing. And what we've also encountered is that very often people bring over relatives, they also work in a practice or the practice is even looking for other opportunities for, for, for the children mm. or the, the spouses to, uh, to work there, to live there, um, and then they need to have a working permit. Uh, it is incredibly complicated. We always think that HR is already complicated in our Western world. But I would say that, uh, that they have excellent challenges that we, we do not face or, and I, I'll, I'll put the ball in your court, Mike, or that we have to get used to, that we have to uh, source vets from completely different parts of the world to come and work in Canada or in the Netherlands or what have you. Yeah. No, you're, you're 100% right about it. And I just was thinking about just how multinational the vet population is there. And then I was reflecting on my own practice and with the shortage that we have of, of vets in uh, North America, particularly in equine, uh, where statistically close to only 1% of graduating vet students want to go into equine. So that's less than 200 a year in all of North America. Uh, so it's not like we have an overfill of, of candidates. And so we've been able to look beyond our borders and we're in the process of hiring some more. And I would say by the end of the summer, the majority of veterinarians that work for us will not have been born in Canada. And I could tell you, because uh, we hired our first uh, foreign trained veterinarian last March from Germany, then we had one from Mexico, and we've had a couple more from Mexico and one from Spain. They are exceptional veterinarians and the, the culture that they have added to our practice, we're a better practice than we were a year ago, just by the additions of the of people from different countries. And, you know, we always brag in Canada, our prime minister constantly say our, our diversity is our strength. And I see it in practice in our own, and I can see it in, in, in Dubai with just how multinational uh, these practices were. Well, I, I think we're all very much focused on our own country, on our own university. For instance, in the Netherlands, we only have one vet school. So most vets that you know come from that vet school, even though more and more are coming from Belgium. Uh, there is uh, a vet school in Budapest that's uh, having a lot of students uh, outside of Hungary. So there, there's a lot happening. And I think 
what we saw in Dubai, I think, Mike, that's also what you what you will face is that you have to think about, okay, how do we get a working permit? Is the license appropriate here? How do we get them going? And I think maybe that's also a nice bridge to what we saw at the World Veterinary Association Conference where we went next. Yeah. Great because segue. that's really a, a, a truly global meeting of vets from completely different backgrounds and um, it was totally appealing to me. It, it, it was a complete eye-opener to be at the conference at this conference for the first time and see our profession is organized and interacting globally. Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, for the, we show up there and then we see uh, all these male performers from the Emirates, you know, doing these a chant and a, and a welcome sort of ceremony. It was like, okay, we're not in Las Vegas anymore or Orlando. Uh, this is different. Yeah, it's a smaller group, so maybe 500 people there, I guess, but everywhere. And so to sit in a room and you're interacting with veterinarians, and it's primarily veterinarians. We didn't see a lot of support staff. There were students there, and we'll talk about that later from the Emirates, because the Emirates now has their own vet college. But yeah, you're sitting there and you're conversing. I remember just like the first day at lunch, the, the gentleman to my right was the chief veterinary officer from Malaysia. Uh, to the left of you was a, was a vet from Uganda. Across the table were vets from the Emirates. It's just like, this is different. But as we'll talk later, it was very similar too in a lot of ways. But what I was impressed with is, you know, when I go to a conference in North America, it's, you know, it's a big trade show and it's, you know, you're there, they're trying to sell you stuff and it's go, 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 go. And I often leave conferences in North America I don't know how would I say is I find it's a very superficial, it's a very thin layer of what we do. It's very focused as we talked earlier on just what we do, whether you work on cats and dogs or horses or cattle, it's just like that is your world. And then being with these people from all across the world and their different challenges, it was like our profession is so much bigger than we live on a day-to-day basis. It reminded me actually being in vet school when you realize how huge and how many tentacles the vet profession has and where you could go. And with this in particular, there was a big emphasis on One Health, the veterinarian and the human medical field working together that I found absolutely fascinating. I think, Mike, that also ties a little bit into shortage of vets as we have in in vet practices. You already emphasized how difficult it is to get equine vets. Still, our, our universities produce quite a lot of uh, veterinarians, but the more and more you see that practice becomes less appealing, that's one thing. And we try with our HR programs to really work on that part. On the other hand, there's also a big pull from completely different parts of our profession, like the no, One Health, I think, is a nice example. Uh, the, the role veterinarians play in food production, in zoonosis. What we tend to forget in our little equine or companion animal or what have you bubble is the incredible importance and the role of our profession in impactful diseases like COVID. I think that has really shown us how important our profession is. And I can understand that there are a lot of veterinarians that maybe like practice, but also see the bigger picture and see a bigger purpose, uh, a bigger role for them in life that is maybe at least to them more fulfilling than than just treating dogs and cats or horses or cattle 
but that's the larger aspect of health uh, of all the people on our planet and how that interacts with animals and with uh, with diseases and that was also incredibly impactful i think at this conference the world veterinary association conference where there was a big emphasis on uh, on the role animals play and and particularly the one health and one medicine aspect of it mm-hmm. And that's something that you will hardly hear or encounter when you're at a one species conference. And that for for me was also eye-opening. It, it's like you said, Mike, it's a bit like what we had uh, at going back to vet school. You know these things, you realize these things, but it also, uh, yeah, it puts you with your both feet on the ground And maybe these people that leave practice have another reason than just being bored with practice. And maybe it's just the the difference or the higher purpose as they envision when they go a bit further in their career. But those are just my two cents. Yeah, I was thinking of that. I was like, one of the favorite lectures I sat in was just a veterinarian talking about research that he did on cystocircus, you know, a swine-borne disease, and just how changing the way they house the swine had such a major impact on their small community in Uganda. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking of the times where we have to, uh, let's be honest, when we're dealing with with pets of people, sometimes you're doing things, you're like, uh, do we really need to do this? You know, you're, you're dealing with, yes, we're addressing people uh, and you're, we want to make our customers happy. And But sometimes you're like scratching your head about like, is this important? And then when you see a vet talking about how you decrease infant mortality mm-hmm. in a village, it's like, all right, that has that purpose. And I know, Katie, we talk about purpose all the time and, and getting people lined up. And I think that is something that we have in, inherent in the vet profession. But this brought it to a whole different level. That really strikes me, you know, that alignment of purpose and, you know, yourself as a practice owner, you know, you have vested interest in equine vets staying in equine medicine or, you know, small animal vets staying in small animal medicine as well. But if you truthfully want people to be happy and to be fulfilling their purpose, then you do sort of have to think a little bit outside of the immediate impact that not having those vets has on your practice. So that's really interesting point. Then the other one, I just, I sat in a lecture on what we have learned in camel racing over the last 30 years, what do I know about camel racing? I now know it is like huge in the Middle East. Uh, but just listening in on the lectures, I was like, I could have been in a horse racing lecture. It was fascinating. So it was just neat, you know, regardless of the species, there there was the common thread that runs through us all in the profession. I was thinking, Yope, of that, that last lunch we were having and that very austere, very severe looking gentleman sat down next to you and he's with this light long robe and the white headdress and it's just very intimidating. And then, you know, of course he gets speaking and he, you realize he's probably looking at us like, who are these people? And and you start this conversation with them and like, he's a camel theriogenologist. He was talking about how they had a calf born that day from frozen semen from a famous racing bull that had died 14 years ago. This guy pulls out his camera and he's like showing yeah. them these pictures and showing us pictures. He's, he's so proud and excited. I was like, well, bets are the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's exactly the same feeling I had when he pulled up the, the, the pictures on his phone. I mean, we, we, we would have done exactly the same. And, and you, 
yeah, you do not realize how wide our profession is and, and that these things are happening. I mean, camel racing is also big in Australia. I saw that there were several uh, speakers from Australia talking about camel racing as well. And camel racing is huge. We've also been to Dubai World Cup uh, race at the racetrack. The thoroughbred racetrack, yeah, it's crazy. That was a thoroughbred racetrack. But then we went to visit uh, an equine hospital, which was beside a camel hospital and a falcon hospital. Yeah. 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 yeah so. I mean, this really uh, give, puts your profession in a completely different or bigger p- perspective. And that's what I, what I got out of it, that whole new worlds of friends that you meet uh, and the connections that you make, which is not just the, the day-to-day stuff that you normally talk about. Yeah in your place but it yeah the discussion becomes far more interesting when you talk with uh, people from from all over the globe well, i think that's a great segue so uh one of the what you presented on you know it was one of those like the, the most unenviable spots to presenting the last session on the last day and you're thinking oh who hates me uh, and so <laughs> I did a session, a round table on technology uh, in veterinary practice. And suffice to say, it was fascinating, good feedback. But when you're talking about technology and some of these areas don't have high-speed internet or smartphone penetration, it becomes a different conversation. And it sort of gave a hint to what was going to happen in your round table in terms of when we go into this, because this is what we know, and we go in there with our Western perspective about technology, and then you realize Everything I talk about, I can talk about AI and robotics all I want. But if somebody is working in an area where they don't have cell coverage, it's all irrelevant. And so, yo, maybe you can introduce the session you did because that to me was probably the highlight of our two weeks there. I still think about it a lot. And I was talking to a colleague of ours who we met from Finland yesterday and she brought it up, like just what a powerful one hour session you had. The main topic was how to keep our profession attractive for young and bright people. Uh, How do we keep finding people that want to study veterinary medicine and want to move our profession forward? So I I came up with some statistics of of countries that have statistics and uh, which in itself is, uh, yeah, that's already a big difference between certain parts of the world. And then you always go into these discussions and presentations with your own perspective, your own bubble where you live in. And then if you're confronted with, uh, well, for instance, with very, very bright young female vets who just finished, who were the first students from the uh, Emirates uh, Vet School, who discussed the way they can practice and the difficulties that they face uh, being female, not being allowed to go out by yourself in the evening to, do, uh, to assist a horse or an animal giving birth. Uh, the fight that they have to uh, deliver in order to find their position in the market. I mean, they were incredibly intelligent. We had incredible, yeah, we had very deep discussions on 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 how to move our profession forward. But these ladies, they really had it. They really, I, I, I mean, I, I suppose you share my uh, sentiment in this discussion, Mike. They were driving this discussion with very open and honest questions on how we do veterinary medicine in our part of the world, uh, how they would need support. Th- that showed me that there, for sure there are still people who want to do veterinary medicine. But these 
ladies also were not completely focused on practice. They also saw the bigger picture. They were interested, uh, for instance, in wildlife. There's still a lot of wildlife in in the Middle East uh, that they want to protect uh, and that they want to cherish. On the other hand, there was a discussion in, in, the, in that same room with people from Africa, from Uganda and Zambia, where the veterinary profession has a very is in a very low low esteem. Yeah, you don't aspire to be a vet there. Exactly. Yeah. If if you don't know what to do, you go and study veterinary medicine. And there we went into the discussion on okay, it's important to have vets, but but who is doing the actual work out there? on the farms in Africa. And we talked about the community animal health workers that play an incredible uh, important role under the guidance of vets. So the vets become more or less a manager of a group of community animal health workers who are educated by the vets. There were so many perspectives that, let's be completely honest and transparent with you, that I had not envisioned when I set up the discussion. I mean, I set up the talk and the discussion in order to get this kind of feedback but I had no clue which direction it would go. And I also think that we do not have these discussions enough globally within our profession. There are so many things that we can learn uh, from each other. Uh, and hopefully this was really just a starting point of a broader discussion on, okay, who wants to become a vet? How do you become a vet? Why do you want to become a vet? Do we select the right people to become vets? So we, we opened a complete can of worms that, of course, we would never get them back in, uh, in one hour <laughs> in that can. But that was exactly the fire I was hoping to, to ignite. And, and, and that happened. I think that was a little bit of the, of the mystery and the success, Mike, of uh, the topic. Yeah, no, I agree. I remember I was running around the audience with the microphone as we were asking questions and you all had a panel up there. And the first gentleman was the one that you mentioned from Africa. And he was just talking about to be a vet is the lowest of the lowest. And so we went in there with like our typical ideas about what's going on in the Western world of, you know, people leaving the profession, there's burnout. And I was like, wow, there's challenges everywhere. And I would never have thought that to be a vet would be frowned upon in a society. And then when these young Emirati women were talking about the challenges that they face, that kind of reminded me what probably North America was like in the 50s when women started to enter the professional fields. Yeah, but you sort of got a sense of where we probably were as a profession. Uh, they maybe got a sense of where the prof- where their profession may be in a few decades. As they grow up, they get more locally trained vets, what have you. So it opened my eyes. And I have to say, all of them, again, why are you doing this? And the one gentleman from Africa was talking about loves animals. But, you know, these women from Emiratis, why are you doing this? Why are you risking your social status? Why are you risking... Your safety, to be frank, they love animals and they found going back to purpose, there was this noble purpose that they had to do it. This is what we have to capture more of in our profession, I think. Well, and, and, and I think that, that that bigger purpose, you're absolutely right. I think that's what we all have in common. How you can translate that into to real life, your relationship with animals in your environment, that, yeah, that's that's key. I slightly disagree with what you said, Mike, regarding how how their practice will look like our practice in 50 years. I think it will be completely different. It will fulfill a different kind of need. Mm. Uh, And it will look, of course, they can learn from us as we can learn from them. But that doesn't mean that the dot on the horizon is is the same. 
Now, what I think is a nice example is in the Western world, we are very, well, let's say, difficult in providing non-veterinarians options to perform veterinary services, whether that's vaccination or or taking blood or putting a bandage on or or stitching or, or, or doing anesthesia in a surgery room. If you are like the people in Zambia and Uganda, if you are short of vets and you still have these patients, you need other people to help you. You you have to become more productive in a way that you could never do by working harder. You have to work smarter. So you have to find other people around you that can help you to make this happen. And, and maybe the world is reversed in a way that, that that's the way we would have to work with our shortage of vets in, in practices in North America or in Europe, that we have to be more willing to bring other people into our sacred zone or whatever you call it and to help us to to address the problems that we face i love that perspective it's sort of like yeah the 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 scarcity that we're facing right now with veterinarians there's a similar level it's different but there is a scarcity in those uh, underdeveloped countries or developing countries yeah and they do more with less and that's maybe what we're having to look at too. So we're actually, as you're saying, we're, we maybe need to look at them more to see where our profession may be going. And, and I think in these countries, <clears throat> the vets are also more connected to to the food production yeah. in, 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 at the local place. There, there, there's not enough cooling, not enough refrigeration. So animals will be slaughtered on the spot will have to be checked. Uh, they should know what the, what the health status in that area is. Can that meat be consumed? Uh, uh, is there anybody checking it anyhow before it's it's consumed? They have a different status and they need different skill sets compared to us where, you know, the whole meat production or milk production or, or fish production is so much I would yeah, over-organize or organize that, that we have vets who do specific tasks in this whole procedure, mm-hmm. uh, in this whole process. And, and there, people have to do it all by themselves. So it's, yeah, it's, I would almost say it's a different ball game, and your diploma here might not suffice there any other way around. Yeah, sure. Last comment I have on, on the World Veterinary Association Congress. So, you know, we're talking about the globalization of the profession and and I was talking to our colleague from Finland, talking about how fortunate that we've been able to hire vets from different parts of the world. And then she sort of struck me with like, well, it's actually easy for you. And I'm like, why is that? She's like, well, if they come to Finland, they have to learn Finnish. I was like, ah, yeah, good point. Like most people, fortunately for us being in Canada, speak a level of English uh, in the professions. But yeah, I don't think Finnish or you know, even Dutch to, you know, if I was going to move to the Netherlands, I'd have to learn Dutch to be a vet in the Netherlands. That's, that's a much bigger obstacle. I left counting our blessings that we have a regulatory body in Ontario that allows us to bring people in under special licensing. And the fact that we are an English speaking province country, for the, you know, we're a bilingual country, but I was like, oh, yeah, we have some advantages that others don't have. Anyway, I, I would highly recommend it. The next WVA Congress is in Taiwan next, I think it's May, end of May next year. Yeah, I, I, it was a breath of fresh air. I, I, I just walked out of that conference invigorated and hopeful for our profession 
because regardless of where they're from, there's a shared love of medicine, a shared love of what we're doing, animals. Uh, we all have obstacles, but we're addressing them to a certain degree. I mean, it's not, I'm not trying to make this like it was Nirvana. Everybody, there was a lot of challenges, but I was optimistic. I couldn't agree more, Mike. And, you know, we think we've seen a lot of the world already, which in a way is true. But still, you you meet these surprises, you get surprised, and you get invigorated by how, how, how other colleagues deal in, in certain circumstances. Yeah, and, and also learning from them, but also being able to help them with your experience, I think is, uh, yeah, that, was, that, that was really a big, a big thing in this conference. Uh, for sure, we'll, uh, we'll try to go to, to Taiwan uh, next year as mm-hmm. well, because I think it, it adds a lot of value. Yeah. Well, Yop, thanks for joining us. Glad to get your perspective on it. We were both seeing the same things, but we both took different takes on some things, which is good. Uh, I will say we're working to have some of the veterinarians and students that we met in the Emirates join us on future podcasts. So I'm looking forward to really hearing from the the people that have boots on the ground and how they're doing things. But uh, anyway, that's our little travelogue of our little working vacation in the United Arab Emirates. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.